Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all, ladies and gentlemen, to Taylor Terror Radio on this Wednesday hump day. It is December 19th, 2018, and very few shopping days left. Thank God, um, is all I can say. Praise God! There's only a few days left in this uh, in this Christmas shopping season. It's crazy out on the roads here in Houston. Uh, okay, so if you're tuned in, guess what? You're listening to Taylor Terror Radio, taylorterrorradio.com, where you can catch us live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Friday will be our final show for uh, the Christmas um, season. We're going to be off next week. Uh, myself and Tara will be off next week. Uh, we've been going at it strong since July. With pretty much no break, so we're going to, yeah, I mean, I think we took off for Thanksgiving, but we're going to um, be doing the best of uh, next week. Compilation shows, they should be fun and entertaining. Um, me and uh, Kevin have put some time and work into these. These are not going to just be a replay of one show. Um, they're going to be, uh, you know, 15-minute, 10-minute bites from, you know, all of our uh, 62, 62 plus shows here on TaylorTerraRadio.com. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Taylor. You can follow Tara, my friend and my co-host and my partner here on Twitter at Tara Dublin Rocks. And the show account is Taylor Terra Radio, Taylor Terra Radio on Twitter. You can direct your questions and your comments there. The chat room here on Block Talk Radio is open. Now it is, because I just opened it. Um, so you can log in there and chat. You can create a, you can log in as a guest, but I, you know, I recommend everybody creating a free Blog Talk Radio account. And look, we don't get any money from this <laughs> at all, but um, Tara could attest to that. Um, so, but uh, they're good people at Blog Talk Radio. They've always taken care of me, and when I first started doing internet radio, podcasting before it was even really called podcasting we just call it internet radio um i was with blog talk radio 
So uh, they're good. You get a free 30-minute podcast to uh, play around with during the week if you like. The phone number is 323-870-3499 is the number if you'd like to try to get in today. Um, probably not going to happen. Um, coming up at the bottom of the hour, we have our very special guest, NBC, MSNBC legal analyst Glenn Kushner. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Uh, will be joining us at 1.30 Eastern. Tara, how are you today? Kirshner. Kirshner. That's uh, how you Kush- pronounce his Yeah, that's what name. I said. Kirshner? I said it right. Did you say it right? Yeah. I'm proud of you. I I'm did. I'm proud of you. I said it right. <laughs> I, uh, Kushner. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It is um, uh, coming up uh, our, this is our last week on, on the air of, of this year. Last night. I went to my beloved OK Corral tonight and uh, last night and tonight they're doing two special shows here in Portland at a different venue than we normally go to. And they're calling the show cheer the fuck up. So uh, it's a 21 and over thing, by the way, everybody. But um, so going and singing with a group of people still is the only thing that I will leave my, uh, my apartment for now. And uh, it's incredibly important as we've been saying, you and I've been saying this pretty much since the beginning of doing this show that your self-care, your self-care still needs to be in effect uh, as we continue to fight against the garbage fire, which we'll, we'll get to the garbage fire. But um, I want to tell you how good it feels to get yourself out of your house and around other people. And I forget sometimes because I get all cocoony. And you know this about me, Jason. I will go days where I don't even leave my apartment because why? Where would I go? What would I do? So last night when I went out, to OK Corral at a different venue, I saw people uh, in port from my Portland life that I had not seen in a really long time. I saw somebody who was a good friend of mine when I was on, back when I was on the radio, um, someone I knew who was in a local band, and now he's in a bigger band, and he's touring, and he's doing well, but I hadn't seen him in two years. That's what happens when you actually go out and get out from behind your screen. And yeah, of course, you could uh, stay on Facebook to... Um, stay in touch with your friends or you can actually go out and see them. Um, I, I know no, that you don't no. do Facebook or you do, but you don't pay attention to it. But I did do the, the log out Facebook yesterday, um, which was encouraged by the NAACP. And the, every single day we are learning more and more about how Facebook is evil. I mean, all social media is basically terrible, but Facebook yeah. seems to be don't beyond. One second. Hold on there. Don't think what? for one second that Jack at Twitter is not as guilty as oh, Zuckerberg. No, 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 hey, no, <laughs> nobody, nobody is sending Jack a fruit basket, okay? Trust me. Yeah. But um, <laughs> the more we're learning about what Facebook allows is – it's just, just for, for one – let's just – I want to talk about this for a moment because everyone's freaking out about, oh, my God, Facebook is selling our privacy to Netflix and Spotify, and they can see our private chats and oh all of that. God. It's, well, first of all, I mean, in for me personally, they're not going to get anything exciting, right? I, I'm not conspiring <laughs> against the government. I'm not having a secret affair with a celebrity. I live literally one of the more boring lives that you could ever. So uh, my apologies, Netflix and Spotify, for my private messages being about nothing but how I can't get a boyfriend, okay? That's basically all, that and my cat. 
Um, those are my private messages on Facebook. I'm very seriously considering deleting Facebook because of what you, not just they can mine your data, but just how complicit they were in, you know, the, you know, putting up the, the Russian propaganda, not really giving a shit where their money comes from. As long as someone's giving them money, they don't really care. And uh, they don't seem to care about our privacy and they don't seem to care um, about telling us the truth. And when I'm seeing people like Casey Hunt from NBC, from MSNBC, uh, posting that she's deleting her Facebook. Celebrities are deleting their Facebooks. Now journalists are deleting Facebook. And when I see a journalist like Casey Hunt post, please don't get your news from Facebook. That is incredibly telling to me because if a journalist says you can't trust the news on Facebook, I believe that. I Well, first In of all, parentheses, I think, it should say or Twitter <laughs> or Twitter. Well, I mean, again, it's always, you should always vet your news source. I mean, this goes back to forever ago. Um, always vet your news source. I mean, obviously we should know better by now. And there are still trusted news sources out there. Your cousin is not a news source, okay? <laughs> you know, your cousin on Facebook, not a news source. And so, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about it, but then on the flip side of it, there are a lot of people that I would uh, lose in my, my life if I deleted Facebook because they live on the other side of the country or, you know, they just don't live here. They're not in my immediate circle. Um, I have, you know, family that lives across the country. I have friends from college and all of these people that we're able to keep track of because of social media. That's the best of what social media does. It remain, it keeps you connected to someone you want to remain connected to. Back before we had social media, Back before there was an internet, people did this thing called keeping an address book, and it was a book of paper in alphabetical order, and you wrote down with a pen people's names and addresses and phone numbers. And when you wanted to find out what was going on with them, you picked up your landline, and you dialed your rotary phone, and you talked to them. It was a crazy time, but that's how we did it. And think about doing that, going back to that. I think about that. I think about how we, that's how we lived for centuries even. It couldn't possibly be that difficult to go back to it, but also it could be because what social media has done, it expands our, our lives in a way that we get very used to this accessibility, this reach, this um, platform for our narcissism. We're all, we all enjoy it. What if that was taken away? What would you do? What would you do with all that free time? Would you let me throw spend out, your days? Let me throw out How a, would you? But, let me throw out a stat there. Let me let me throw you a stat. On average, do. on average, <clears throat> the uh, uh, on average, a a man or woman checks their phone on average 120 times a day. On average. And, um, that's it? 120? Three, that seems low. Yeah. It, well, yeah. That's just on. Really, that's really the low end. The 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 um. I think more true would be um on that particular study would be 300 times a day. Yeah. It I was mean, a study done. Yeah. I don't have a link to it right now. I was just reading about it uh, a couple weeks ago. But yeah, um, the average person between 120 to 300 times a day. You checked your phone. Mm -hmm. so. All right. Well, 
And I don't like it. I mean, I have to tell you, I, I did do log out Facebook, Facebook yesterday. Yeah. I mean, like instant messenger on Facebook. I, I have a Facebook account that exists. I never, ever, ever post anything on there. Period. I have. I couldn't tell you the last time that I have. I have not used instant messenger on Facebook probably in I don't know four or five years. Um, Boy, I, just, I bet you got I some ne- message requests up in there. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I do. I never took to Facebook. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't something, it wasn't a platform that I enjoyed. You know, Twitter lured me into this evil, horrible web they have. And <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> Facebook did do it in. for me. I'm, I, I need, I'm like more real time. I need something, you know, if I'm, and that's just the way that I work too. I need like, and, you know, that's why I like play around in the market so much with my little garage band hedge fund. I like things moving, you know, instantaneously. So snappy. Um, snappy. You hear me snappy. I, I get that. I get that. My, I think uh, I know for, for me personally, it really just goes. It, the essence of it for me now is it's not about self-promotion anymore. It's really about maintaining these relationships. Like I have some really good friends from college that I love staying in touch with. They're incredibly funny, good hearted, kind, wonderful human beings. I would completely lose track of their lives. They live in Brooklyn. You know, they live in New York. They live in L.A. I, they are not available on the daily. And so I, I logged out of Facebook yesterday. I really didn't miss it. Um, I didn't – I had other things to occupy my time yesterday, and I, I would suggest that that would be a thing I could adapt to easily. I'm considering deleting Facebook, believing Messenger on my phone so that people can contact me. But here's the other thing that I know for a fact, and it doesn't, and I'm not saying this to be like, oh, poor me. I think this could be true of everybody who uses social media. If I stopped posting on Facebook altogether, people wouldn't really notice because they're so, we are all so self-absorbed, right? And you may, like, if I deleted my Facebook Maybe in a week or so, somebody would be like, oh, you know, I haven't seen Tara post in a while. I can't say for a fact that that would be true. But we are so self-involved, and there is so much on the Internet that we are constantly, you know, assaulted with that if I didn't post on Facebook, people wouldn't notice because we're so self-absorbed. You, you forget that people exist. And uh, the, schm- the biggest example of this is when Facebook tells you it's somebody's birthday. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen a Facebook birthday thing where I'm like, oh, man, I haven't talked to them in forever. Or who is that? I don't even know who this is. A lot of times I end up deleting people on their birthdays because I don't remember who they are. I'm not sure who they are. We're not really connected. So I wonder when it comes to social media, if you decide to remove yourself from the platform, who would notice? And then who would reach out to you in a different way? Who would they want. say, hey, I, I haven't seen you online. Are you all right? Like, I don't know. I really don't. And I think it may be an interesting social experiment to conduct. Um, we don't certainly have- with one day offline, no one's going to notice. But what if you did it for a week? What if you did it for a month? Your Twitter would anybody notice? It's, like, it's kind of a rhetorical your question. Account, your Twitter account could get suspended or you could delete it. And in within a week, you would be forgotten. 
completely. I, I, we don't have time in this show for me to go through people that's been permabanned from Twitter from the time that I was on Twitter, and I was on Twitter in 07, I mean, at the very beginning. And um, I, I don't have time to go through the litany of people <laughs> that are no longer on Twitter or people that, that were on Twitter and chose to go off of it. Uh, I could A number of high-profile writers for the New York Times have decided that they decided they didn't want Twitter accounts, and you know what? They asked themselves, do I really need a Twitter account? Do I really need yeah. – actually, you don't. And, actually, you um, don't. You don't need. No. It's all about want. Um, my favorite example of someone who, had, who has left all social media is a wonderful writer named Lindy West. Lindy West uh, writes for The Guardian – um, and she's written for other uh, news outlets. And uh, Lindy West was an early proponent of social media. She's very outspoken, and she's also a, a woman of size. And she makes no apologies for her size. She is, you know, an advocate for women of size, and uh, first, and I 100% support it. She has an amazing memoir out called Shrill, which they've adapted into a Hulu series starring A.D. Bryant from Saturday Night Live. And there was a time a couple of years ago where Lindy West, I don't even remember what it specifically was that set everybody off, but she wrote something and all the trolls went after her. And I mean, in a really horrific way, like my cyber harassment was bad, but hers was even worse. Like people were showing up at her apartment and like it really crossed the line. So she removed herself. And that is a voice that I miss on Twitter because it's a strong female presence a strong feminist presence and an intelligent female presence. And we, those are the voices I want to still be able to see. She is certainly not suffering for her lack of social media uh, presence because, you know, she's book deals and TV deals and consistently yeah, and writes she, for the guardian. That's a yeah, good example she, of someone who walked away and is doing fine. I don't feel I have that luxury at this point yet. I don't have a book deal yet. I don't, I still need to, we saw, we have this show that we need to promote. We have, we need to be able to contact people to have on our show. Our show is on the internet. So in our current lives, you and I still need some social media in some respects. And uh, I will say though, that yesterday showed me, number one, people don't care if I'm posting on Facebook or not. Number two, I didn't miss it. And those two things combined Maybe keep my Facebook active, but not just not post regularly anymore. Just maybe once a week drop in and be like, hey, I'm still alive. Glad you are too. See you later. Not really sure. Um, but not giving Facebook too much because they just take from, from us. They take more than we give. And that's not okay. So, um, I, you know, with the lack of control over your own privacy, I think is something that freaks people out. You just want to have some control. And I think if people felt more in control and they didn't think anybody had access to their stuff, they'd probably, you know, obviously we'd all chill out a lot more. And what's really troubling, this has been going on for years without our knowledge, the data mining and going into our accounts and, you know, our privacy settings. How many times have you done a Google search and then all of a sudden you saw an ad for that product on your Facebook? It happens all the time. Happens on and Instagram. So, it's one of those six of one, half dozen of another. 
you know? Anyway, there are other great things that we can do with the internet. And you, you sent out a tweet last night that really touched my heart um, because you're such a good person. Um, the tweet about helping the little girl that's in your parish. And we wanted to talk about the spirit of giving. It is the giving season. If I, I mean, I know that it doesn't really feel festive because of the other things going on in the world. But another thing that you can do to make yourself feel good is give to others. And Jason wanted to take some time this morning to talk about uh, that tweet that you sent last night because both uh, Uncle yeah. Stevie in the booth and I just, you know what, just sit back in admiration of you. Well, um, yeah, I sent that. I, you know, I sent the tweet out, and and I and I wanted everybody to. I, I was hope my hope was that everybody would not would take from that. Not I was, you know, sitting there chiming, patting myself on the back. That that wasn't why I was tweeting that out. I wanted everybody to look <clears throat> at that little list and um, and how that little girl, that little immigrant girl, um, just over from Mexico, um, how those few little things, um, that's what she wanted, a Dr. Pepper uh, or a Coke, and she liked root beer, and she, she wanted, you know, a Hershey's, and she wanted some fake nails. And how old and, is this little um, girl, do you know? Yes, she's nine. She's nine, okay. And she, it's so cute. Also, I mean, if you look at her list, she just wants candy and fake nails. And that's not right, a lot to right. ask for, right? That's barely so, anything. Right, exactly. Right. Well, I got her a lot more in, in uh, you know, shirts, joggers, shoes, a Barbie. I got her a gigantic set of play nails. And um, awesome. she's going to be so, so she's going to have a blast with, yeah, she's going to have a blast with that. Um, but anybody... Uh, if you're listening out there, it's certainly not too late to do something like this. We we did this in, in, in our parish. And listen, my parish is 90% Hispanic. It's in a very low-income area of Houston. It's my home parish. I don't live nowhere near it, but I drive there every Saturday, every Sunday. I don't, I'll don't. i never move parishes unless I actually move from the state of Texas. I'll never leave that parish. That is my my that is my my familia and so that's your heart yes absolutely and so but no what you can do is if if you go to my twitter there you'll see it we just did a little list like this me and a few of the church elders and it was you know we we put some things on there and we, we just handed them out to the kids so you know it and it doesn't if you know a you can make up say make up like 20 of them or 25 of them and get a few friends together Go to a homeless shelter. Um, if you're in California, you certainly, um, you know, there are people still displaced from all the fires that are probably in, in FEMA trailers and FEMA apartments and motels. Um, you know, I went through that three months of being in a, in a hotel here in Houston when Harvey uh, flooded my home. So, and there were families all throughout, you know, the, the hotel. So you can... You know, I just suggest making up a little list like that, you know, putting simple little things there. And, and if you know an area or you know a group where you can hand it out to the kids and have them fill it out, you know, and, you know, go out and, and get, you know, these few things. You'd be surprised, you know, the smiles that you're going to get and the warmth that you're going to get in your own heart and the warmth you're going to put it's in true. their heart. Yes. It's so and true. It, and, it, um, it, it, yeah, it, and listen, it. 
it takes a little effort. You know, you've got to, you know, you've got to get out there and, and do a little work. Uh, it's, it's really not about the money. Those things on there are just, you know, you can go to Walmart and pick those things up for relatively, you know, inexpensive. Um, but it's getting out there and, and, and doing the work. Um, you know, it's boots on the ground. It's going out there, putting it all together and actually executing it. Um, and that's why I was put in charge of it, being a political campaign strategist. Um, I'm, I execute things, and um, that's one thing I did. So I would, if anybody has any questions or anything, or you would like a blank copy of that list that I put together, uh, I would be happy to uh, email you one. Um, you can just uh, message me on Twitter. If you would like, you can also you can email me if you want. You can email uh, either me or Tara at taylorterraradio at gmail.com. And uh, I'll be happy to, to send that out to anyone, Tara. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing that I do know if you don't have an idea of what to give, if you're interested in, in right. helping uh, low-income right. families, uh, homeless, they always need practical things. Think about the yeah. practical things that you use every day. Now, the idea of giving a little girl a Barbie doll is wonderful. So if you're going to give a gift like that, also give something practical with it. Socks. Yeah. They, yeah. Homeless people, their number one request, shoes and socks. They're cold. Yeah. Think about how cold yeah. it is. Uh, scarves, gloves, hats. Um, yes. Long underwear. Those things. Yeah, um, I did shoes. Give them something and, and, practical and, along with something fun. And here's something, right. and here's something. This is a little tip. I come from a, a family of women, so I do have a lot of. Uh, many of my ex-girlfriends will tell you I have a lot of feminist traits about me, which is not. They meant, always meant that as a compliment, by the way. That wasn't a um, just being raised with four women. But this is what I do when you get a little girl or a little boy, and you're, you're wanting to buy them. You know, you get, it's easy to buy them. You know, shirts and jackets and things. When you go to buy them pants, don't try and buy them jeans and stuff. Buy them joggers. Buy them sweatpants. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, because you, you know Tara as well as I do. You you, you know you're going to have those. Those are going to fit more times than not. Absolutely. You don't know what size anybody is anyway, and so you just want to err on right. the side of caution. Um, it's just I'm thinking about. The everyday things that we take for granted that a uh, a low-income family or uh, someone who's homeless doesn't have access to, toiletries. Think about a full toiletry set, a shaving kit for a homeless yeah. man. Something like, you know, and I, I think one of the, num the number one thing that people don't think about is the sense of pride that we have in ourselves uh, as we present ourselves to society. And I know the one of the biggest things that I hear over and over again from people in the homeless community, they just want they want to feel clean. They want to clean themselves up. They don't like the way it feels to be, you know. So there's a sense of pride in being able to, you know, maintain basic hygiene. And these are things that those of us who are not in that situation never think about. Women who are homeless need feminine supplies. Do you know how hard it is for a homeless woman to get tampons? Or maxi pads, it's almost for impossible. real though. Yeah, for real. And it's you know, yeah. I know it's an you know it's a weird thing to think about, but if you put together a care package for a homeless shelter that included socks and toothpaste and maxi pads and deodorant and toothpaste, I cannot tell you how grateful the recipient would be, because I've yeah. been there myself. I've packed those boxes. I have 
brought those those gift boxes myself. And I have seen the looks on the faces of people who go without when they get something basic, the gratitude. It makes me feel both great and terrible because yes. it, it breaks your heart to think about someone who they don't have socks. They don't have a toothbrush, basic things. And so, and especially at this time of year, you know, if, even if right. I don't have two nickels to rub together for myself, if you gave me $5, I would probably end up spending it on another person. That's, you know, just, it's what we do. It's what we do. Anyway, yeah. we are coming to the bottom of the hour here. We have a great guest about to join us. I'm very excited because Glenn Kirshner is not just a legal analyst, but he said he likes to run his mouth. So we are, we're going to be in for a great conversation. Yeah, I saw that in the uh, little DM chat there. So, yeah, I saw that. And I, then like, I seen long, you. Right. We were like, right. what, what yeah. we get to do here is let people just talk. And we don't say, okay, you got five minutes until we have to go to commercial. Uh, we're not MSNBC, yeah. so he'll, uh, he'll get to say lots of things. Maybe we'll encourage him to do some swears, too. Why not? He can't do that on MSNBC. Right. Hey, a couple bits of news here real quickly um, while we're waiting uh, for uh, uh, Glenn to join us. Um, and we'll be going to a break here at the bottom of the hour. Um, Tara, uh, the Senate's going to pass a short-term uh, a short-term spending bill to avert the uh, Trump Christmas shutdown. Oh, no goody. So we can have it in February yeah. instead? Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Federal Reserve is widely expected. I know everybody in the market, including myself, don't want to hear this. Uh, they're going to be raising interest rates. Um Actually, it doesn't worry me because I'm in a safe place, but, um, yeah, the Fed's going to be widely expected to raise interest rates um, at its final meeting of the year. Um, we are headed for a recession like nobody's business, by the way. And uh, Yeah, and uh, something uh, I'm sure that we're going to touch on with Glenn, um, I think Michael Flynn's lawyers need to, need to stop uh, taking talking points from the uh, Fox News people, the judge in the Flynn, yeah, the judge in the Flynn case has very little patience with this man. And uh, I think we saw we saw that yesterday. We'll we'll talk about that more with Glenn Kirshner in a moment. But I, I have questions like, what the hell else does Mueller need from Mike Flynn? That's a big question because yeah, the, right. So we'll we'll cover that yeah. with Glenn in a minute here. I have questions. About, I have so many legal questions. So it'll be great to yeah, have an I, actual legal expert to talk us through that. I'll tell you really. Let me tell. I'll tell a quick funny story. I was on the treadmill yesterday uh, at the gym, and I lifted for about an hour and a half. I was only going to do about 15, 20 minutes of cardio. Anyways, friend of mine, Tom. He's seventy-two. He gets on the treadmill next to me. I know he's kind of a Trump supporter, but. Um, he never said it openly. He never said it to me. So we started talking and everything, and I said, boy, I started saying a lot of things that I, he didn't want to hear. But long story short, um, he lasted listening to me. Like, he usually stays there for 15 minutes to, to walk and to walk with me and, and talk and chat. He left after four minutes of me telling him that everybody <laughs> would come to this place. <laughs> that's, you know what that's like? That's almost like, that's like when you get trolled, and it's by yeah. an actual person. And you go back and forth, and you answer them every single time. You're like, facts, facts, facts. And then finally, they just block you. 
because they can't get anywhere with you. That's like the human version yeah, of yeah. trolling, right? There. He lasted like four minutes. I said, "Man, boy, Flynn's gonna." I said, "Manafort's gonna die in jail." I said, "John Jr.'s going to jail." I said, "I was just rattling on and on and on, and I was real hyped up from 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 you know working out anyway." So and he was like, he, he, he was he, like, "I don't yeah. like the words you're saying because they're true." Right. Exactly. Yeah, well, no, when I when I said something about Flynn, he came right back. So he, he, I might as well have been talking to Sean Hannity, and I like Tom. Look, he's a good guy. He came right back and said, "Boy, they really screwed Flynn over. They really they really coerced him into into this." I said, "What are you talking about, what? man?" And this, what? Uh, yeah, then the conversation was on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't – I love how the White House is like, this is what happened with Mike Flynn, and Mike Flynn himself is like, actually, it's not. So. Right, yeah, and I'm – listen, I am just got done an hour and a half lifting weights. I'm on like 500 milligrams of caffeine, and so – Don't even. I'm You're tired. like, don't even get me started. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah he did the, too, the, and I didn't shut up. He lasted the four minutes. The narrative is crazy. Like – so yes, I mean, yesterday when they just so like we're watching it all happen live, and he's gonna get sentenced. Wait, no, he's not gonna get sentenced. Wait, yes, he is. Wait, no, he's not. The whole the whole back and forth, back and forth, and his supporters are freaking right. And so yesterday I had some, I had one or two like actual human trolls, not a bot, come for me because of the Mike Flynn stuff, and I was like, he admitted it. He has admitted this, and the judge said this, and this is this, and this is that. And they're like, no, no, the FBI made him lie. What? The FBI yeah, made what, him that's lie. That's what Tom was saying, basically. Yeah, yeah. The FBI yeah, made, made him like, just like, right, just like they made Michael Cohen lie. They're making Paul Manafort lie. Rick Gates lied. Yeah. George Papadopoulos lied. Uh, yeah. Roger Stone, David. Yeah. They're all lying. Yeah, um, they're all they're lying. All, they're all lying, lying they're to make Trump look bad. It's just to make him look bad. Get... He hasn't done anything. Yeah. So, hey, listen, we're going to go to a quick break. Uh, we have Glenn Kushner on the line, and we'll uh, we'll get with Glenn, NBC, MSNBC legal analyst, right after this quick break. Do not go anywhere. You are listening to Taylor Terror Radio, TaylorTerrorRadio.com. <laughs> America. Welcome to 
Wednesday hum day, and if you're tuned in, you're listening to Taylor Terra Radio, TaylorTerraRadio.com, where you can catch us live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. If you missed any of the show today, um, any of the live show here happening right here, right now, you can go back um, and listen to the show on any of your podcast listening platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Spotify, Google Play Music, anywhere you find a podcast, you will find Taylor Terra Radio. All you have to do is type in Taylor Terra Radio in the search bar. If you're using Spotify, if you're using Spreaker, if you're using iTunes, um, that's all you have to do. It's real simple. Or you can catch it right here on TaylorTerraRadio.com. Um, wait about 15 minutes, and uh, the pod will be ready to uh, for your listening pleasure, or you can download it and take it with you um, if you so choose. Okay, um, we would uh, we have an incredible uh, guest with us today on Wednesday. Um, <clears throat> NBC and MSNBC legal analyst. He's a former 30-year federal prosecutor. Glenn Kushner is joining us. Welcome to Taylor Terror Radio. Glenn, how are you doing today? I'm good. Hey, I appreciate you guys having me on. Hey, Glenn. Welcome to the show. I am a huge fan of yours and of MSNBC in general. We've had several of your colleagues on the show already, including the wonderful David Jolly. And uh, what I appreciate about MSNBC, you have all, I think, mostly collectively decided to uh, stop giving a fuck and you are presenting it all as it is. And I think you were the first, everyone at MSNBC, you were the really the first ones to say Donald Trump is a liar. And I appreciate that because we say it too. So uh, from a legal standpoint, um, the most recent thing that we are dealing with right now in the garbage fire is the Flynn sentencing that technically didn't happen yesterday. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of confusion around why it didn't happen and why it's been delayed. So if you can use your legal expertise to explain to the lay people why he wasn't sentenced yesterday, what Mueller still needs from him, and what you believe the judge was really after yesterday, Judge Sullivan. Sure. So uh, it was probably the most exciting non-sentencing hearing I've ever attended. (laughs) I spent 30 years inside of courtrooms, first as an Army JAG prosecutor, and then 24 years in the court courtrooms and courthouses of D.C. as a federal prosecutor. I just retired in June. So I'd been before uh, Judge Sullivan, Emmett Sullivan, litigated before him, and he is, uh, he is a fiercely independent judge, and he is somebody who, above all else, really hates governmental misconduct. And, mm-hmm. and I can tell you that the form that that usually takes is if we're in court and we're not doing something quickly enough or efficiently enough or to his liking, we're going to hear about it. But, you know, what was nice from my perspective, because General Flynn did sell out his country and did act illegally um, as a foreign agent for the government of Turkey and did lie to the FBI and um, the vice president and others. What I liked about it is in yesterday's hearing, General Flynn was government misconduct on steroids. So he was the one who, you know, Judge Emmett Sullivan 
really focused his wrath on, appropriately so. And, and you know, here's how it played out. It started out oddly lighthearted. I was in the courtroom. It has this room for about 100 people. You know, Flynn and his defense team came in and smiling, laughing, glad-handing like they were attending a cocktail party. And then when Judge Emmett Sullivan took the bench and started to, first of all, quiz uh, Flynn and his lawyers about that ridiculous memo that they had filed, claiming that, well, you know, the, the interview in which he lied, they admitted he lied to the FBI. It was, it was kind of lighthearted. It was casual. It was jocular. Uh, he wasn't told that lying to the FBI was a crime. He didn't have a lawyer there. And it was clear that they were trying to both kind of minimize the nature of the lies he told, and they were suggesting that, you know, maybe stuff wasn't really done on the up and up. And so the first thing Judge Sullivan did was something I've never seen a judge do at a sentencing hearing. He placed Michael Flynn under oath. Yes, I remember you talking about that yesterday. Yeah, and now now in every plea proceeding, when somebody walks into court and pleads guilty, the judge places that person under oath because you have to swear to the facts that support your guilty plea, and you have to swear under oath that you are guilty of the crime and that nobody has forced you or coerced you into pleading guilty. But never at a sentencing have I seen a defendant placed under oath. Well, Sullivan placed him under oath, and he said, I've got some questions. And then he started to tick off one by one these ridiculous notions that the FBI did anything improper. And he said, you know, first of all, General, I'm paraphrasing now, and I know the transcript is out, but, you know, General Flynn, um, did you understand that lying to the FBI was a crime? And he's like, well, yes, Your Honor. So it didn't really matter that they didn't inform you of that. No, Your Honor. Now, did you feel like they were pressuring you because you didn't have a lawyer there? And he's like, no, Your Honor. And were you confused? Were you okey-doked? Were you coerced? And he's like, no, Your Honor. So basically he, had, he, he knocked down every point that Flynn's own attorneys had put in that sentencing memorandum. And what he made clear was that the FBI did nothing wrong, nothing inappropriate. I mean, to, to say that this was anything that approached entrapment was laughable, um, you know, which as a footnote right here, it, it, you know, it was pretty disheartening when after that hearing, when Flynn affirmed that he was not okie doked and he was pleading guilty because he had in fact voluntarily lied to the FBI and others, his defense attorneys agreed, the prosecutors agreed, Judge Sullivan agreed. Then we have Sarah Sanders, you know, having a press conference shortly thereafter saying, yeah, he was he was forced into uh, telling those lies and pleading guilty. He was ambushed when, you know, that couldn't have been farther from the truth that we had all just observed inside that courtroom. That's just a footnote. So after Judge Sullivan, um, you know, cleared up all this nonsense about FBI misconduct or overreaching, he then he then got hot. He said, you know, General Flynn, I understand you're only pleading to one count, and I understand that the parties are recommending a sentence of zero to six months. But do you know, sir, that you arguably violated everything this flag stands for? And the judge actually spun around in his swivel chair and pointed to the American flag behind him. And he wow. said, and do you know, sir, arguably you have sold out your country. 
and I find your crimes despicable. And let me tell you, you're going to go to sentencing today. I am not promising you a non-custodial sentence. In other words, you may have come in the front door, but you're going to go out the back door in handcuffs. Yeah. At that point, to lecture him, and this is why the continuance, he started to lecture him about how when we have a cooperating witness, usually what happens is we delay that cooperating witnesses sentencing and ask until his cooperation is complete, which means all his testimony, all his interviews, everybody else that he's provided information about has been charged and tried and convicted or what have you. And then at the very end, that's when we bring the cooperating witness before the judge and we say, judge, now let us tell you every single thing this cooperating witness did to try to assist us in holding other wrongdoers accountable because only at that point can the judge have a full appreciation of exactly how important and valuable that cooperating witnesses assistance was to the government and the cause of justice. So what Flynn's lawyers tried to do is they tried to short circuit that whole process by bringing him into court and having him sentenced before his cooperation is complete. We know, for example, that, um, his business partner just had an indictment dropped against him on Monday in the Eastern District of Virginia U.S. Attorney's Office for them conspiring together and acting as you know illegal agents for the uh, government of Turkey. So he's going to have to testify in that case if that guy wants to go to trial as opposed to plead guilty. So we know his cooperation is not yet complete. So the judge said, listen, I'm going to paraphrase, as, as angry as I am with you right now, and you are about – to go to prison if you want to get sentenced today, or you might want to consider continuing your cooperation until it's complete and then come back before me, and then we'll have another little chat. But you know what? Emmett Sullivan said something very ominous toward the end. He said, and let me tell you, even when your cooperation is complete, I am not promising you a non-custodial sentence. So yesterday, I think <laughs> Judge, Judge Sullivan was, was the country's hero yesterday, in my opinion. He said some things he's been criticized for. He raised treason when he was just ruminating, and he said, I'm not being an apologist for him. I do like and admire him, but he said, you know, he turns to the prosecutors and said, you know, could you have charged General Flynn with treason? And ultimately the prosecutor said, no, we didn't think there was evidence sufficient to support treason. And then he also made a mistake about the timing of, of Flynn's work as an illegal uh, you know, agent for Turkey. But you know what? Those are minor quibbles, and the point is that what we saw was an independent judiciary at work that was extremely upset with this serious governmental misconduct that seems to be ignored by the executive branch, dismissed by the legislature because they refuse to you know, uh, perform their checks and balances duties over a runaway presidency. But you know what? The judiciary will not have it, and thank goodness – they are still acting to enforce the rule of law. So I'll tell you, it was a non-sentencing because it got continued, but it was one of the more dramatic hearings that I have ever been you know, uh, in attendance for in, in over 30 years. Wow. Okay, so now I have follow-up questions. Um, sure. So um, if he w- is not finished – uh, assisting the Mueller investigation, why would they have scheduled sentencing for yesterday? Why would they have not maybe delayed the sentencing without even going to court yesterday? Because it just he had question. this court date and he had to show up. 
Is that? Nope, nope. Now, here, here's what they did. So I've, you know, I've handled a lot of really significant prosec- uh, prosecutions, and I've had cooperators who were seven-time hitmen for criminal organizations. I've done big, long RICO trials in federal court. And so what happens sometimes is these cooperators get really antsy. They want to get to their sentencing because they are tired of just ha- having the uncertainty hanging over their heads. Am I going to jail for a year, for two years, for 10 years, for 30 years? So I think what happened here was once they saw that the prosecutors, Mueller's team, was going to recommend a really low ball sentence, zero to six months, probation eligible, and the defense, of course, was going to ask for probation, they thought, you know what, we've done enough that we can walk into court and we can just, you know, basically double team Judge Sullivan, the prosecutors, and I'm not suggesting anybody did anything wrong because they didn't, but we can double team the prosecutor, the, the, the judge, with both the prosecutors asking for probation and the defense asking for probation, and the judge is going to go along with us. So it was premature, but I think the defense felt like they had all the pieces in place that they needed. What they didn't account for is that Judge Sullivan is no pushover. And Judge Sullivan said, you were the national security advisor selling out your country, and you expect me to give you a sentence of probation or just six months? Now you got another thing coming. Exactly. And that's that's the other thing, because I think about if you or I did what General <laughs> Flynn did, we would already be in prison and for probably the rest of our lives. And I consider it treason. If you are yeah. in cahoots with a, another with people outside of the United States and you are working with them in secret and then you lie about it because you're trying to influence the election or you're trying to get help from them. To me, that's treason. Uh, light treason I don't know that it constitutes the legal elements of treason, but what I agree with you with is if you or I did this, we would probably die in prison as well we should. But he, here's the thing. Here's why I think if we scratch below the surface, we all as Americans have reason to be optimistic because – so I, I, Bob Mueller was my chief of homicide at the U.S. Attorney's Office. He's the person who – I think it's fair to say taught me how to be a federal homicide prosecutor because this was before he was the you know the FBI director and you know in a position where you didn't get to work with him day in and day out and shoulder to shoulder. I had that luxury because for two years I had the office next door to him. He was my direct supervisor and you know he he taught me how to do it. So um, when when Mueller and his team decided. That Flynn, even though as national security advisor, he lied to the FBI and he did all these truly horrific things that had the potential to damage our country. Mueller still said, you know what? He has been so valuable and provided so much information and was that one insider with firsthand long-term information about what Trump was up to during the campaign, during the transition. Of course, not for long during the presidency because – Flynn got fired pretty quickly, but he provided so much critically valuable information that we are going to ask for this low ball sentence. That tells me Mueller would not have done that if Flynn wasn't a bonanza of incriminating information about the president, probably his close associates and family members, because Flynn obviously earned that low ball sentence by providing devastating information. And the same thing with Michael Cohen as well. The Mueller team had recommended a pretty light sentence for him, but the judge was like, actually, you're going away for three years. So, yeah, um, yeah, and that was, and, and was here's, really here's interesting. And here's my frustration. 
this is my frustration with this entire process, okay? I, and it's not that the legal system isn't doing their job. Certainly they are, and I, I'm fine to wait, wait it all out. People around Donald Trump are going to prison, and they're being sentenced to real prison sentences. Paul Manafort will never breathe air as a free man again, as far as I, as far as I believe. Why do you believe that Trump's base continues to deny these truths of General Flynn, of Paul Manafort, of Michael Cohen? I understand some sort of blind faith. But still, we have all of this evidence, and none of these people are going to lie to protect Donald Trump. So when does he get his is really the question, Glenn. And you believe a sitting president can be indicted. I believe it as well. Can you lay out what that process might look like? Sure. We, we know um, all of this stuff. So, yeah. I mean, so I think – People are worried. About, I, I'll, I'll give you a second, one second. I just wanted to get this sure. point in and see if you agree with me. We have been able to survive two years of this illegitimate presidency. I believe that however long it might take, we can absolutely survive a legitimate impeachment process. Mm-hmm. I just don't know that we get to a legitimate impeachment process because the Congress seems unwilling to hold the president accountable, at least some in Congress. Now, things will begin – see – all right, a lot of stuff to unpack. First of all, I happen, and I'm the eternal optimist, maybe naively so. I happen to believe that on January 3rd, when the Democrats take the House, don't believe what you hear. Impeachment proceedings will probably begin at 12:01 a.m. after you know they, they take the House, and that's and I believe that they've been very circumspect. They didn't want to stir the pot before they came into power, but. You know, this man needs to be impeached, in my opinion, for the crimes he committed. And mind you, I'm not political. I'm not right or left. I believe in right and wrong, period. Um, you know, in fact, as a Fed, I wasn't by virtue of the Hatch Act. I'm not allowed to be political. I can vote. That was pretty much all I could do for 30 years, and it was all I cared to do. Here, here's what I really firmly believe. Once Bob Mueller tips his hand, whether by dropping a big conspiracy indictment delivering a report to Congress or some combination. He may very well do both. I, I think the Republicans in the Senate at that point will look at the evidence showing the president's crimes and his family members' crimes. And in their mind, the calculation will shift and they will realize in the face of all of this incontrovertible evidence, if I don't now go against the president, I will lose more votes than I will retain. Because unfortunately, what I've come to believe is for some politicians, uh, re-election is everything. They have no sense of patriotism or decency. They don't abide by the oath they took to support and defend the Constitution and faithfully execute the laws of the country. Instead, they're kind of in a twist on Patrick Henry's battle cry, give me liberty or give me death. They're all about give me re-election or give me death. That seems to be where they are these days. But once their own reelection prospects are threatened because of what Bob Mueller has found, then I think they're going to have to walk away from the president. Now, all it took, I say all it took, in 1974, we had the exact same phenomenon. Once the tapes were released and once everybody heard with their own ears that Nixon was a crook, that's when the Republicans in the Senate went to the White House and said, look, Nixon, you're done. We don't support you anymore. It's going to take a heck of a lot more for the Republicans to get to that point today, but they're going to get there. So if we go the impeachment route, I still think he will be both impeached and removed. 
I don't know that we're going to get to the impeachment route because I do think Bob Mueller sees this as his battle to fight, and that man will fight every battle to the death. He'll do it honestly. Um, But I think he will not want to leave this up to the vagaries of Congress and the political winds of the day, who will vote to impeach, who will vote to remove. I think as long as he can get permission from whether it's Attorney General Barr once he's sworn in or whether he may have already sought permission to indict the president from Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein, as far as we know. We just don't know. We do know there are a lot of sealed indictments sitting on the uh, district court docket in D.C. Um, If he can get permission to indict a sitting president, I believe he will. And I think you can indict a sitting president for the reasons I laid out in the piece that was published yesterday on NBC News blog, Think. And, And to summarize it real quick, you know, the, the Department of Justice issues these opinions through its Office of Legal Counsel, ruminating about, well, this is this, we think this is legal, we think this is wise, we think this is unwise. And what they have at least twice um, opined in opinions, one in the, I think, 74 and one in 2000, is that, yeah, you really can't indict a sitting president. And the reason they come to that decision is, you know, there are a couple of underpinnings. One is that because... There is a mechanism to remove a criminal president. It's called impeachment. And because there's impeachment, we shouldn't, we shouldn't prosecute a president criminally in a court of law. That assumes you have a Congress that will actually act based on the evidence and not on their own political viability. So if you have a Congress that refuses to honestly and ethically and in accordance with their oath go through the impeachment proceedings the way the Constitution intended, well, then you really don't have a legitimate vehicle to hold a criminal president accountable. And you have to consider using the judicial branch to hold a criminal president accountable. Otherwise, guess what? president is a king. He's got complete immunity, and nobody can touch him. That's the first reason. I think the OLC, the Office of Legal Counsel memo, has to yield to the sort of norms of our day, given what we're experiencing. And then the second reason is, you know, the OLC memo that says you can't indict a sitting president is premised upon the the, the notion that the president is legally elected. But if you have a president who has, you know, paid hush money to porn stars and Playboy playmates to – hide incriminating information about him and basically rob the voters of the full value of their vote. And you have a president who is colluding with foreign countries to undermine our free and fair elections. If, if a president, and I'm not saying we have conclusive proof of this yet, but if a president basically steals the presidency, well, he can't then use that presidency as a shield against prosecution. So, you know, and then the, the third thing that I mentioned in my, my article is, You know, we revisit Supreme Court precedent in this country. Now, that's the law of the land, that if anything is written in nearly indelible ink, it's Supreme Court precedent. But guess what? We as a society recognize that, you know, societal norms and values change over the years and the decades and the centuries. And we have to revisit the wisdom of old laws, of the old laws of the land. And, for example, if we didn't, we'd still be living under the Dred Scott decision, which said African-Americans can't be citizens. We'd still be living under Plessy versus Ferguson, which says, you know, the horrific doctrine of separate but equal. But of course, Brown versus Board of Education, you know, put a bullet through the heart of Plessy versus Ferguson. 
So if we can revisit the wisdom of Supreme Court decisions, which are the law of the land, applying our, our you know, evolving societal norms, then for gosh sakes, we have to be able to revisit these non-binding memos that do not have the force of law when we're confronted with situations in which, you know, they're rendered sort of meaningless because of the president we have. So that was like my long rant without taking three breaths about why. (laughs) So to follow that up, um, one thing I heard you say very distinctly in all of that was, was this president elected legitimately? And we know he was not. So should we at this point expect and because it's never happened before, people don't really know how it would happen. Could the Supreme Court nullify the election results because we know that they aren't legitimate? And could the Supreme Court rule that the person who legitimately won the popular vote should then be inaugurated to the office we elected her to serve within? Um, it's a question that I have not been able to get anybody to answer for me because this has never happened before. But if we know he wasn't elected legitimately, not only should the election results be nullified, but shouldn't all of the appointments he's made be negated? Like Brett Kavanaugh should not be sitting on the Supreme Court because it's one of his nominees, and he was elected illegally. So I feel like we need a do-over, basically. Can we get that? (laughs) Yeah, so that's a great question. And common sense tells us if – I mean – if you take this to the extreme, let's assume that Trump and his family and his cronies hired a whole bunch of computer hackers prior to the election to hack into every election database and rig the vote count so that he got more votes than Hillary Clinton. I mean, I think under those circumstances, anybody would say, yeah, well, he can't be president because he stole it and it has to be nullified. Now, if you agree with that proposition, then it's all just a question of degree after that. And, you know, the question is how much misconduct in stealing the presidency should be enough to result in nullification. But the reason nobody's able to answer your question is because it's never been tested in the courts. So just like when people say, well, can a president pardon himself? The answer is we don't know and we can't answer that because it hasn't been tested in the courts. So until we get a full factual accounting from Mueller and his team about what the president did to undermine the election. I don't think we'll even be able to begin to know if we can nullify the election. I can say there's no precedent for it and there's no constitutional vehicle for it. So some would say, because there's no constitutional vehicle, you can't do it. All you can do is impeach him. Or if the OLC memo was revisited, indict him and try him. But But here's the thing. Courts handle cases of first impression all the time, and that's what this would be, a case of first impression. That's a legal term of art. All it means is the judges have never seen this before, and they have to tackle it for the first time. So depending on what what Mueller finds, could some citizens group bring a, a legal challenge to his presidency if he's found to have stolen it unlawfully? and ask the Supreme Court to declare it null and void, I will bet you're going to see suits like that brought if Bob Mueller's findings are dramatic enough. I think they will be. And since you're someone who knows him, how much longer do you think we have to wait before something big gets dropped? Because I was expecting after the midterms, uh, once all of that was done, that he was going to drop enough 
of a, of a bomb that we would go, okay, good, we're moving forward. And then we saw the Cohen sentencing and all of this. So we have forward motion. But for those of us who have believed from even before election night that Trump was involved with the Russians and that he was being helped and all of that, when do we get our satisfaction, Glenn? When, when do you believe that Mueller will actually release a, a comprehensive report? Yeah, it, it, this is a pure guess, just based on kind of how far he's come and how much there may be left to do. I would hope we're going to start to see significant indictments drop in the next two to three months. Um, I don't think we'll see a report to Congress until he is at the absolute end game. So what I predict is he's going to indict. Um, he's going to indict everybody for whom he has enough evidence to support a criminal charge because that's who Bob Mueller is. Those people, I suspect, will include the president's family and the Stones and the Corsis and all these kind of hangers on. And I think you know, the, the one big ticket question is, does he put the president in there as an indicted co-conspirator, as they did with Nixon in 1974? Will they put him in as an unindicted co-conspirator? But at that point, the final report to Congress will be almost anticlimactic because what I think Mueller and his team will do is they'll put together what we call a speaking indictment. Usually our indictments are just a couple of pages, and they say on such and such a date within you know, the District of Columbia, the defendant committed the following offense. But these speaking indictments can read like novels. And I think when the big one comes, and it's going to come, it is going to be, I'm going to predict, several hundred pages worth of um, a speaking indictment laying out the whole scheme and the backstory and the history and every what's called overt act. That is every step every person took to bring their criminal conduct to fruition. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be one for the ages as far as, you know, good reading. Um, <laughs> that's, you know, that, that big one, the big one might not be coming. I hate to say this for another year, but I do think significant indictments will start to drop in the next two to three months. And I could be, I mean, the whole thing could be wrapped up indictment wise in the next four or five, six months, but it's, it's impossible really to, to accurately predict. Now, and what about Pence? Because everybody forgets that he's there. He would like to forget that he's there. If you, you know, that those photos from the Oval Office meeting with Pelosi and Schumer are just, those are gold. Um, But everyone's like, oh, Mike Pence, you know, he'll be president. Um, I don't believe that because Mike Pence, as everyone seems to forget, was the head of the transition team and uh, knows everything about Mike Flynn and Paul Manafort and all, all of these people. Why, why do people want to believe that Pence doesn't know anything and he's walking around like this clueless innocent? I believe he's just as complicit. So is Mueller investigating him, and what, why aren't we really hearing his name in all of this? So Mueller's investigating anybody that the evidence indicates need, needs to be investigated. I, I can't say one way or another about Pence. Um, it, now, on the one hand, I agree with you. It seems inconceivable that he wouldn't be in. He wouldn't at least have knowledge of what was going on with regard to potential collusion with other countries in the run-up to the election. But um, but I don't know. Here, here's what I'll say that has informed my opinion a little bit in recent days when. The government, the prosecutors, Mueller's team indicated that Flynn lied to the vice president. That was an open question, I think, as recently as just a few weeks ago. I I can recall I actually said on air in one of my appearances that it looked like 
uh, Flynn lied to the vice president. And some people got very angry with me because they're like, no, that's BS. Pence knows. And that's just a narrative that they're using. To, And yet now Bob Mueller's team has gone on record in their filings as saying uh, Flynn lied to the vice president. What does that tell us? That tells us that at least Flynn doesn't seem to have been including Pence in his scheme to coordinate with Russia. So could it be that Pence is the odd man out, even though he, it seems like he must be intimately involved and at least have knowledge of what was going on? Could he be the odd man out? Let me, I'll use one quick story from my college days, which I've never even thought until we've had this conversation could apply. So I, I was one of the captains of my college football team, and I came to find out that some of the guys on the team, and it was pretty openly known, were doing some things. Uh, and now, now I already regret going down this road. We're doing some <laughs> things on, fri- on Friday nights before the game on Saturday morning that they should not have been doing because, one, it was wrong, and, two, it was going to impact our ability to play effectively the next day. But even though I was one of the captains of the football team, I didn't know about it because they shielded me from it because they mm-hmm. knew the person I was and, you know, I not pure as the driven snow, but I would not have had for it and there would have been hell to pay, but I didn't even know about it until it all broke and it broke very bad. So as I, as we're talking here today, I'm thinking, you know, it could be that they walled off Pence because he wasn't one of them, but I, but I don't know. I find it hard to believe he didn't know, but I, I can't jump exactly. to that conclusion until we get more from the Mueller team on I I need I mean I I I will be very gratified to know that I've been right about that as well as we have been moving through all of this the vindication from those of us from the beginning who were anti-Trump who knew that he was in cahoots with the Russians it's nice to have some validity at the same time no it isn't because we're watching this play out in front of us and it's not happening fast enough um it's it's just it's and uh, when it comes to The case in the Southern District of New York against the Trump Foundation that we saw yesterday in the Trump Organization, and they have Alan Weisselberg has immunity to help, and David Pecker has immunity. Do you think – this is another thing that people uh, discuss. If his children are going to go to prison, Don Jr., Eric, possibly Ivanka, whatever trouble they may be in, there are people who think that he would resign to save his children, I believe – that he would walk over the bodies of his children to get out of a burning building and then blame them for setting the fire. So um, that's a situation where we know they're all guilty of something. And what we don't know is what they'll be charged with and what sort of sentencing might come out of it. But do you think that he has enough uh, wherewithal to resign because he would save his children? Or do you think that Putin wouldn't allow him to resign because Putin wants him in the position that he's in? You know, I don't know that I've seen many people as narcissistic as Trump, and I tend to agree with you that it's an open question whether he has any loyalty to his children. We, he, he doesn't have any loyalty to anybody else on the planet. Right. Um, and I, I, guess, I guess I don't expect he would have the kind of loyalty to his children that a normal parent would have because there's nothing normal about the man. Um, I, 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 here's the way I see it playing out. Let's assume Mueller does return, 
big old conspiracy indictment that includes all of his family members. There's no doubt in my mind that Trump will promptly pardon all of his children. He will pardon himself, which I said is an open legal question, but that won't matter to him because all he has to do is sign a piece of paper that says, I hereby pardon Donald Trump, and then that will be fought in court for the next two years. He'll mm-hmm. do it. I, I guarantee he will do it. So once he pardons all of his children and pardons himself, he's no longer uh, politically viable, and then he resigns. Then everything shifts to the many states in which he and his family members have likely also committed criminal offenses, tax evasion, fraud, um, you know, you name it. And those states, I believe, including New York, New York will probably take the lead, will bring criminal charges against him for the state crimes he's committed. And there is no escaping that. So I do believe all of these wrongdoers will be held accountable in courts of law in some jurisdiction before it's all said and done. But it's going to be a long, bumpy ride for the country. Well, I'm willing to strap in. I will say that. And I think that our democracy is too important to go, oh, no, that will be too hard. Just let him stay president till 2020. I can't. No. I personally no. cannot. Um, and it, it's infuriating to me to have anybody still supporting this illegitimate president and administration because and, – and, I mean, I understand why many members of the GOP are, are publicly putting on the loyalty face, but maybe behind the scenes or not. It's the regular people that I really, truly yeah. am starting to feel badly for, the ones who are continuing to remain loyal, who have been conned, and they don't want to admit that even this far deep into where we are, they mm-hmm. still don't want to believe that there was any, but any wrongdoing, and that... Uh, Cohen and Manafort and Gates and blah, 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 all of them, they all acted independently, and Trump knew nothing about it. How does this yeah. remain the narrative still at this late in the game, Glenn? I don't understand how people can continue to support him. What, what I do know is you know, I think there are a lot of folks in this country who feel like they've been left behind, and they have. And, you know, that that goes for farmers. It goes for factory workers. It goes for school teachers. It goes for, you know, folks who are unemployed. It go, and, and they feel like they've been left behind by both political parties and what they felt like they were buying into with Trump was and, and it was it, it was from a place of him being a con man. So it's too bad anybody fell for it. But I think they felt like, you know what, there's somebody different who is actually standing up and figuratively and sometimes literally giving everybody the middle finger. He's giving it to the right and the left. He's giving it to this person. He's giving it to, the, to Germany he's, and then to NATO. And, and he's telling everybody you know, to, to F off. And you know, you're allowed to swear he, you know, on the Internet, Glenn. Yeah, I can't. I can't bring myself to. Um, <laughs> he, he's telling every, and you know what? We like that because we've been put upon by every politician and by every rich fat cat, and you know we like what he stands for, which is just telling everybody to F off. So he's our man. Now, here's the thing. They stick with him, and I, I really – I don't want to – I don't believe that there's a basket of deplorables out there. I think you know, we are all Americans regardless of what we believe, regardless of 
how unreasonable somebody else's political views are or religious views are or sexual orientation is or ethnicity or you you know we're still kind of all in this together even though we can't agree on some big ticket stuff but I, I do think the people who were put upon who bought into Trump because he was going to be different and he was telling everybody to f off and we like that you know they have they don't really have anywhere else to turn so yeah. if they now admit that they were wrong in buying into Trump, they have no one left who might say F you to the fat cats and the politicians. They have nothing. So I think that's why they're hanging on to the hope that maybe, you know, Trump will rise again and he's not the Antichrist and he's just not as bad as everybody is making him out to be. Because if they walk away from him, they have nothing to walk toward. And I think that's well, why people to our part side. hold on there's, to him. There's What's plenty that? of room in the Democratic Party. There's plenty yeah. of room. I, I say this all the time. I do, I, you know, channeling the woman from Poltergeist. Cross over, children. All are welcome in the light. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And yeah. this is something that, that I've said on our show many, many times. I try. I really do try, Glenn, to talk to people on the other side of the aisle and have real conversations with them about, why they choose to remain loyal, what it is that they think that they're getting out of it. And what I get in return is a meme of Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, looking like the, 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 uh, the Pepe the Frog kid. So it's hard to have intellectual political discourse with people who don't want to have that. And that's my, my, that's been my frustration uh, with the Trump base. And my other frustration is that, that, you know, even this late in the game, they don't want to believe anybody is guilty. And yep. it's astonishing to me, every single day we learn more, and every single day Trump tweets something to make it worse for himself, and yet his base digs in deeper. Um, and then we have people like Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham, mm-hmm. who was a very vocal opponent, who is now completely switched over and is thoroughly complicit, and yet this morning he tweeted about Syria. And comparing Donald Trump to Obama. Now, when they're starting to do that, and we all know that Donald Trump can't stand Barack Obama because Barack Obama was a real president who makes him feel badly about himself. Do you think he's starting to lose his even most loyal? Like when Rand Paul turns on him, then we'll know we have something. But um, (laughs) and like, I'd love to know what made Rand Paul turn. Do, do you think his closest uh, supporters are going to – are they're really going to start backing away, especially between Syria and the wall and the shutdown? Um, I don't think they will back away from him because of any political decision he takes. I think they will back away from him when they realize he's going down because he's been proven to have committed so many crimes, and then they will be hurting their own reelection process if they stick with him. I know that's cynical. And it's pathetic, and I wish that wasn't the way it was, but that, I think, is the only thing that will cause some of the Republicans to back away from him if they fear that they will not be reelected. You know, Lindsey Graham is like Jekyll and Hyde, um, but the fact that he's like Jekyll and Hyde, I think, disqualifies him because if you don't stand for something and you're not consistent and you're not principled, I don't really care what your ideological positions are. If you're not consistent and principled, well – then you're so erratic that nobody can trust you. So, you know, if I have no qualms with people believe, you know, one way on the Second Amendment or the other way. I happen to believe a particular way. I can appreciate that people feel one way on the right to life and another way on the right to choose. I feel a particular way. But if you're principled and you're consistent and 
you know, you, you fight for your cause, but do it civilly, fairly, and, you know, do it with a view toward, you know, look, we're all citizens and we can fight hard for our causes, but we're all kind of, you know, in this thing together. So, you know, let's work, you know, to, to you know, have some semblance of a normal government. That's what I Wouldn't hope that be we nice? can get back to. I hope we can get back to that, and I think we can. I think this may have a boomerang effect with all of the, the crime and corruption and incivility. We may have to boomerang back to a time where we actually are civil to one another and we have reasonable debates on the issues rather than, yeah, just sending memes and cussing each other out. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, as we are uh, coming to towards the end of the show, and I'm so grateful for you giving us so much of your time today. I just a final question here. We are seeing a lot of the members of the GOP retiring. Orrin Hatch, uh, Paul Ryan. Uh, Orrin Hatch said one thing last week, and then as soon as he retired, he was like, "Actually, I don't think the president is above. Nobody is above the law." Yeah. Paul Ryan yeah. is about to step out and be a regular citizen again. Do you think that yeah. Paul Ryan is going to? Uh, say a lot of things that he couldn't say while yes, he was and, still in uh, I power. have said, you know, when it comes to the flakes and the corkers, I've said, you know, it's not bravery when you start criticizing the president because you have nothing on the line, because you're right. not running for reelection. It's actually a special kind of cowardice. And that's what I see from our politicians who will only speak truth to power when their re-election prospects are not on the line. That's a special kind of cowardice. I, I could not agree with you more, and I think that is a great place for us to leave it here. Glenn Kirshner, thank you so much for all of your time today. Everybody should follow you on Twitter. It's at Glenn Kirshner 2. Glenn has two ends, And we can always catch you on MSNBC. Uh, I look forward to seeing how this plays out, and I hope that you'll come back and join us again as a guest after the new house has been sworn in, and we've seen some movement there. I'd be happy to rejoin you, and it was fun talking with you today. It was great. Yeah, Thank you so much. Happy holidays to great. you and yours. <laughs> you too. Oh, yeah, Jason is still on the show, by the way, everybody. Yeah. But hey, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys you, know, you, you, you guys were just rolling along, and, and I was – I mean, you had me uh, riveted uh, listening, Glenn. Um, so I was – I I mean that was great. Um, wow, I mean just some extraordinary um, uh, takes there on your part on, on on what you know possibly could happen as as we move further into the uh, Mueller investigation and in, into a new Congress. But we and did, I'd like we, you to know, Glenn, a couple of years, but we'll get through it. We will, and I yeah, want you to know that I, I feel better having heard a lot of what you said today. Um, you did answer a lot of questions that were uh, you know kind of buzzing around in my brain for a while that I couldn't get answers to and you gave me answers and I really do appreciate that because it, it just yeah. helps me lower my shoulders a little and relax a little yeah. and exhale well, knowing well I'm glad and my and my my favorite hashtag it may sound corny is justice is coming because you hold on tight. I like it. it is coming it is coming in a at a glacial pace but I'll take it when it comes yes. thank you yeah. <laughs> thank you All again right. Glenn Kirshner happy holidays and we'll look forward to having thank you back you. on after you the too. new year all right. Thank, Thank you, Glenn. Bye-bye. All right. See That's ya. awesome. Wow, yeah. That is the best Glenn of what we do. Great. That is yeah. the best of what we do. And uh, I'll tell you something. We said this, Tim, right before we went on the air. It is a pleasure to have these guests on the Let Them Go so that they don't have to get everything out in a five-minute soundbite before we have to go to a commercial break. 
I love that we were able yeah. to give him nearly an hour. And I'm grateful that I he find, had the time to give us. Yeah, I find it interesting because we've had, you know, other we had, you know, somebody like um Ellie uh, Honag on on the show um that worked in the SDNY and you know, his take was no, he does not see Mueller, you know, indicting you know, Trump, maybe it's still an indictment. Glenn had a completely different take. Right. And, uh, and I tend to, and, and the thing is, we talked to Ellie and we knew one bit of information, but today we, we learn more. And every day we learn more. Every day it makes me feel a little bit better knowing. And to hear Glenn Kirshner say we're going to hear have indictments dropping two to three months from now, that's encouraging. And uh, for those of us on this side of the issue, it's very encouraging and um, it's helpful when we're speaking with someone who actually knows Bob Mueller well and has known him for decades. It's really helpful because it helps you get sort of in the mindset of what the investigation is about. And that's invaluable, I think, to us and to anybody who might be listening. It helps clear things up because there is just so much coming at us that it is really hard to kind of parse through all of it to find the meat of what it is that we're supposed to cling to. So when Glenn Kirshner says to us, you know, Judge Sullivan is rip shit and it doesn't even matter how long we postpone the Flynn sentencing and it doesn't even matter what Flynn tells the Mueller investigation between now and February, Judge Sullivan's still going to throw the book at him. That brings me some comfort. It gives me comfort to know that these traitors are going to get theirs eventually. And if you tell me that, here's the thing. I'm not the most patient person, and I think you know that, Jason, but if you tell me on this specific (laughs) day you're going to get this specific thing, just shine it on a little, I can do that. I can do that. You tell me, Jason. Yeah. My my aunt often, even my ex-wife would tell me, you have the patience of Job, Jason. So... Which is, I don't, I'm a Taurus. I want it yesterday. Uh, when I decide I'm ready for something, give it, give it right now. But um, when you tell me that there are indictments coming, I'll just hold on to that. And then it'll be like a gift that you're not expecting in March. Yeah, you, there's no holidays in March. That maybe we'll have a holiday in March when he drops some more indictments. Yeah, there we'll, is. we'll see. <laughs> Saint Patrick's what, Day. Saint Patrick's Day doesn't count. That doesn't count. You're yeah, going to get the day Cap- off for St. Patrick's oh, Day. Hold on. If you're a Catholic, it sure does. <laughs> what, St. Patrick's Day? No, everyone just goes out and gets drunk. Well, That's not a real holiday. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, oh, a real boy, holiday is happening next the, week. Wait, you're going to get the hate now. You're going to get the haters what, the now. St. Patrick's Day isn't a real holiday? Yep, you're going to get the Irish people coming after you. Oh, please. I'm an honorary yep. Irish person with this name. I I, I have I spoken really to enough are, people. Yeah. Between, come on. There are those who refer to both St. Patrick's Day and New Year's Eve as amateur night. And they don't even go out because of all of the people yep. who can't hold their liquor are out and drinking because they think they're supposed to. Because it's a national day of drinking, 
is what it is. It's not, no one, no, I, I mean, I personally in my entire life have never known anybody who told me that St. Patrick's Day is the day for them to go sit in church and reflect. Not, not one person. It's all about getting hammered on green beer is what I've been told. So, and the New Year's, and New Year's <laughs> Eve approaching. I, uh, I would posit that there's no reason to go out on New Year's Eve because, well, for me, there's I no reason been, to go out on New Year's Eve. I, but um, even look, I've been, yeah. I mean, you know, I've been sober over a year now, and and then yeah. I, I, you know, I've had long periods of sobriety in four or five years, and um, but I never, I, I couldn't tell you the last time that I went out on a New Year's Eve. I mean, really, I it's been so. You know me, right? I will I'll, I will tell my new, this New Year's story, and then we'll probably go. So last year, I actually did go out on New Year's Eve, and it was the first time I had gone out on New Year's Eve in like six years or seven years or even longer. Um, because last year at this time, uh, I had met somebody, and we went on a first date that was like five hours long, and it was really good, and we clicked on a lot of levels, and it was great. And so he asked me to go out with him on New Year's Eve, because this band, fun band was playing at this venue where his brother's the sound engineer and this guy's in a band and all of the things were cool, right? It was all, and I was excited and I got all dressed up and we went and we had our drinks and then we went downstairs to the recording studio in the venue and he played me songs from his new album because he's the lead singer. And then we went up and we go see the band and the band is this fun, funky band. They're called Dr. Theopolis. And they're this like funky kind of George Clinton parliament funkadelic kind of band with a horn section we're having a great time and we know so many people in the room and then midnight comes and you know he's been having some some alcohol and i'm expecting perhaps a sloppy kiss at midnight but anticipating the midnight kiss because i'm on a date and we're having a great time i got the worst kiss of my entire life but my entire (laughs) life my entire life like even worse than the boy girl parties from sixth grade where nobody knows how to kiss yet. It was like someone said, Hey, here's your cousin on her bar mitzvah. Give her a kiss. It was a, one of those like dry kind of peck kind of kisses. Like, Oh, I don't really want to touch your lips with my lips, but I will. It was like that. And I was like, Oh no. Oh crap. This guy's not into me. What a disappointment. Oh no. Well then later on in the evening when he walked me to my car, he gave me another, he gave me a kiss goodnight and it was just as bad. And I was like, Oh, it's not that he's not into me. It's that he can't kiss. Oh no. Uh So I, and I thought, Oh my God, this is going to set the precedent for the year. If you start a new year with a bad kiss, does that mean the whole year would, will be filled with badness? Apparently yes. Is the answer to that question. I mean, there were moments of 2018 and when, when we have the show on Friday and we, we, we have kind of a, like a year wrap, we'll talk more about the highlights because there were some highlights of 2018. Some good things did happen, but I thought, yep. Oh crap. Oh crap. This is why you stay home on new year's. That way you can't get a bad kiss and it can't start the, the, the new year off badly. And by the way, I, I know for a fact that the guy that took me out last new year's is not listening. So it's fine that I'm telling this story, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I don't know where the next kiss is coming from, but hopefully when it comes in 20 years, I don't know. Hopefully it won't be that. It just won't be that. Right. And I think that we all can agree that bad kissing is a deal breaker. I also found out that this person hadn't had any relations with another human being in over four years and did not care. 
So he couldn't kiss and he wasn't a sexual person. And so last New Year's just bad. It was bad all around. And I really wish that there was a way to know. Of course, none of us are psychic and we don't have a crystal ball or anything. But like someone should be able to say to me, this is not a good choice for you and you should stay home. So this year I'm just removing that. Nobody has asked me to go anywhere on New Year's yet. I'm going to hold on to that. I don't care who's having a party. I'm sure I'll be invited to something. I think that it's worse when you're single to go out on New Year's because you're not going to get, you're not going to have a great time. You're going to be like that alone in the crowd feeling. I don't need that. I can do that here by myself. So I think for this New Year's, I'm fine with staying home. There have been New Year's in the past where I didn't even make it to midnight where I was asleep by like 1030. I feel okay about that. It's going to happen whether I'm awake or not. So, um, but I, I would, and I think I think a lot of people could agree, Jason, that it's better to stay home than get, than get kissed badly. Yeah. There's wow. your takeaway yeah, from the absolutely. end of today. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's oh, going to do on. it for us today. Um, that's going to do it for us today here on Taylor Terror Radio, TaylorTerrorRadio.com. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, you can do so. Um, follow me, Jason, at JWayTaylor. You can follow Tara on Twitter at Tara Dublin Rocks, and the show account is Taylor Tara Radio on Twitter. And follow our coordinating producer, Uncle Stevie, on Twitter at Kasich for Indiana. That's the number four Kasich, like John Kasich, Kasich for Indiana. All right, that's going to do it for us, uh, and we will see everybody on Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Next week, we'll be off the whole week, and um, you'll be getting uh, compilation shows. Hopefully, they'll be entertaining. Um, Until then, until Friday, we're going to take you out on a little bit of Nat King Cole, getting that Christmas spirit. Nuts roasting on an open fire Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by a choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that sad his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase to keep
kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to From one to ninety-two Although it's been said Many times, many ways Merry Christmas To you 